0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to PodCAN episode 28. This week, we have some updates in the meta. As the metagame shifts, we have Ruby Amethyst making its way back into the metagame. Ruby Amethyst Control, I mean, it's under a different guys, I guess at this point, doesn't look exactly like the old list. I mean, you have some lists leaning towards, you know, more of the control version, some lists leaning towards more of the bounce. And of course, me and Moyen, we just did a deck deck with our own version of the list, which will be coming out tomorrow, if you're listening. So coming out on Saturday. But in terms, I just want to jump into the headlines, guys. And our headlines for this week is just the data off of Pixelborn for the top most played decks. The most played deck, actually week one and week two, was Ruby Amethyst, which is very surprising to me. So it actually wasn't Sapphire Ruby. I think based on my latter experience and of course the deck that I thought that was the most powerful at that time, I would have definitely thought it was Sapphire Ruby, but it wasn't. Um, For week two, it was Ruby Amethyst at 28%. Then it was Amber uh, Steel at 15%. And then of course the Ruby Sapphire at 14% and Amber Amethyst at 11%. So honestly i think the ruby of deck is very powerful um you know we've been experimenting with it but i'm surprised i'm really surprised it is the most played deck what are y'all's thoughts um yeah but basically it's i have
1: over the last week i also faced a lot of ruby um a lot of sapphire um ruby sapphire Mm -hmm. but i think our experience on the Pixel Bond that is a lot different to the the average experience because we're already playing at at higher ranks and maybe different uh, player bracket. Or it might have just been anecdotal that that there was on a coincidence that we were facing this a lot. But overall, I'm not not surprised to see these four decks um, being the most popular ones. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean th- these four for sure. These are kind of the four key combinations. Um, I just feel like yeah, Ruby Amethyst has had quite the the narrative now in chapter two because it definitely flew under the radar for me in week one but now in week two i'm like okay this might be one of the best decks uh the deck list at least the one that we are playing looks significantly different from the old chapter one deck list and in chapter one it was debatably one of the best decks in the game <clears throat> uh, but the new version you know it actually plays quite a bit differently we'll be breaking that down the main topic as well kawa i know you've been able to get out to some paper events what has been your experience in terms of metagame
2: uh yeah looking at the pixel born lotter data very very similar um, Plenty of amber steals out there uh, Surprising amount of, of Ruby Sapphire Which I think is good Because the deck is very very uh, consistent uh, The main reason why I was surprised Was because uh, you know, leading into week 1, week 2 uh, I thought a lot of the cards are going to be kind of expensive to get for players But uh, luckily uh, chapter 2 so far At least in, in Europe uh, Has been the acquisition of it There's been plenty of stock And even prices on card market have been quite low down So uh, yeah there was plenty of Ruby Sapphire And then uh, I was the only Amber Amethyst player at my Locals, but uh, it's kind of like we what we discussed last week. It's very much that rock, paper, scissors, scissors meta of your Ruby Sapphire control deck, your Amber Steel for kind of the mid-range type of stuff, and then your Aggro deck, and they all kind of um, hit each other uh, in that kind of triangle. But yeah, Ruby Amethyst was present as well. Uh, my Locals event on Saturday, I went with Aggro. I uh, three ones. The only deck I lost to was Amber Steel, which I anticipated that was the deck I would lose to. Um, I didn't play any Ruby Sapphire or any Ruby Amethyst, but I, I felt um comfortable in that matchup as well. Um, my partner brought Ruby Sapphire, and what was really funny was she was actually <laughs> the only girl at the locals. and We thought she was gonna, she uh, there was a stage where I thought she was gonna go undefeated, she was just bodying everyone she played against. Beat Amber Steel, beat Ruby Sapphire in the mirror match. And then the final deck she faced, believe it or not, was Ruby Amethyst. It was the Ruby Amethyst uh, that, that you guys have been playing. And yeah, unfortunately, uh, she lost to it, it was uh, just more consistent. It was it was faster, right? And I think if it's faster than Ruby Sapphire, it's going to get there. It got there with the Merlin Goats. Uh, even the one copy of Spellbook was like super impactful. So uh, yeah, very happy to see that a lot of the data that's represented here was the data that um, I experienced in, in paper tournaments so far.
0: That's been our takeaway as well. Is that Ruby Amethyst, at least the new iteration of the deck, is favored into Ruby Sapphire, and it's kind of yep. one of the reasons you would play that deck. All right. Other than that, we don't have we don't have too much news to be honest. The metagame just keeps developing. Um, you know, oh, for us, we're holding our breath for sure for uh, as we head into Q1 2024, what potentially organized play is going to look like as it comes out in hopefully early Q2, because that really sets the stage for what Lorcana uh, will look to become as we progress into this one year, two year uh, kind of timeline here. Um, so, next up here, we have our spilled ink section. I guess I'm just going to call it this, you know? Screw it. This is what it was called in the early, early days of Podcana. <laughs> so, listener question section. So, the first one comes from Alan Cobb. And uh, by the way, if you want to get your question read out on next week's pod, you can choose to comment on YouTube. And they say, What are your thoughts on Gramatala and Teeth and Ambitions in the Teeth and Ambitions package in Ruby Sapphire? Have her sing it, deal two damage to an opponent, and put the damage on her, removal and ramp in in one go seems good against aggro, or is it just a two for one and not worth it?
2: Moyen, what's your takeaway? I mean, it's not
1: it's not necessarily a two for one. So I, I don't I don't like Gramatala, Teeth and Ambitions package all that much. But it's not because it's a two for one because it's not really a two for one because at least one of the cards is going into your ink so you can trade even with with this combo and the the only problem i would say is um that if you don't play grandma Tala on two um she can be is it a sheep? yes okay <laughs> she can be can be a little slow um because then at the at that moment when she does actually give you ink, uh, a few turns have passed already and it's a little bit inconsequential. Um, so I think when you have Gwema on two, and then you can sing Tief and Ambitions against Agro on three, that, that is one of the few ways it can help the aggro matchup out. But I think on its own, the cards are a little subpar and after turn two, they're also uh, diminish in, in their returns.
2: Yeah, the one thing I'll say about this combo is uh, I actually did experience this in locals. On it wasn't within Ruby Sapphire, I believe it. I think it was actually just within Ruby Steel, and uh, they just they used the package in terms of playing a two drop and then seeing it and, and uh, getting getting past. It was a good way to get past the bodyguard of the aggro deck that I was playing. So it's uh, a package that I can see is interesting, but ultimately, I've I mean it it slowed me down, but it didn't stop me completely. So I think it's fine. I don't think it's awful, but I don't think it's great either.
0: Teeth and Ambitions is a card that uh, it it came up in the YouTube comments, obviously, last week, but it's also a card I've been tagged about on Twitter. People asking my thoughts on Mm -hmm. that card specifically. Um, I know this card, I saw it in a lot of Ruby deck lists initially. I mean, I even saw it in the Ruby Sapphire deck list. It's not a card that I'm a fan of, and I'm actually wondering if I'm just evaluating it wrong it just seems like in terms of a card that you would try to fit into your deck list because some of these deck lists especially the ruby sapphire deck list it feels pretty tight because you know there is something very synergistic you're doing there it doesn't seem like the removal i'm really going for right because it's a it's a cheap removal it can definitely help you with aggro but ultimately that the ruby sapphire deck is a ramp deck right and we have yeah. access to much better removal in the deck list in terms of be prepared scar uh etc so overall i i don't i've been pretty unimpressed with the card teeth and ambitions just in general what do you think boyan
1: um, yeah, so basically, its best application is either very early when it can um, stop your pawn from running away with Lilo, Maleficent, or Pinocchio, or late in the game after you stabilized, uh, just to stop them from questing at even once. Um, so to stop just just the one once, basically. Mm-hmm. So it has these niche scenarios where it can be good, but I think mm, that they, are, they don't make up for how below average the card is most of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, the next one here is from Nico Rance. They say, hey, guys, first of all, amazing podcast. Always huge fan here. Two things I like to share. Two things I like to share. First, I completely changed my, my mind on Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo. It's a bad card, and it just doesn't work. So, yeah, I was completely wrong a few vids back. There is a second point here, but I want to take a pause and say... I appreciate that, Nico Rands. I think you're the first YouTube commenter in the history, Tat. Like actually come back and like say that. It, it, honestly, it's I was really impressed. It actually means a lot. I'm happy that I'm happy that you gave us sort of like the timeline of your opinion changing. So um I just want to say I appreciate that. Cause usually we get we get YouTube comments on these videos, but you know, even if they're wrong or they're right, it doesn't really come to fruition. We don't have like a conversation in the end. But it's cool to it's cool to see that. The second point is Ruby Sapphire Item Control. I loved your take on the deck with changes in regards to more standard decks. After pl- after doing some playtesting on and I felt my hand somewhat bricking due to too much on Inkables. After some deep thoughts, I made some small changes to replace Mickey Detectives with Fishbone Quill. My reasoning, Inkable keeps the ramp up multiple turns, extra draw power for Flaversham If you don't see Popsicle, extra draw power for Maurice's Workshop. Benefits Tomato in the late game. After the small chain, I felt like my hands were much better, and I could uh, keep the ramp up by inking, uh, by just inking my inkables. Took the deck to my locals uh, the day after, and I got first place. So thanks for the list, guys. My new favorite deck. P.S. This deck is great for the mirror, as you get much more value at a four bell um, than playing for four noy noy Noi. yeah Noi. So, yep. yeah okay as uh, most standard lists do. So this is an interesting point, Nico Rains, because. Uh, <laughs> This card, Fishbone Quill, is actually one of the first cards we cut, um, and we we also we do run high on Inkables, so I think we run twenty to twenty four on Inkables, so it's actually quite a high amount. One thing I will say is in regards to uninkables in that deck list, one thing that we do that might not be immediately apparent with the deck is we turbo mulligan for Inkables in that deck list. So we are mulliganing for Inkables no matter the matchup. Almost, I mean, we've been doing a lot of playing up to Pixelborn. You don't know what your matchup is, but in general, we are mulliganing for Inkables. The Ruby. Uh, Ruby Amethyst deck we played in Chapter One was also running twenty to twenty to twenty plus on Inkables in the decklist. Same strategy. I think that in Lorcana, if you're running twenty or more on Inkables, you need to be mull getting for Inkables. But yeah. So, what was your thoughts behind cutting the Fishbone Quills, and why were you not a fan of that card, Moy? Um.
1: So. So. Bas- <clears throat> so. Basically, I think the effect of the Fishbone Quill itself uh, of the item is is not all that great because um, you don't get, basically you use one card and then you need to use two cards to ink in one turn. So you kind of need like three cards to get these two ink down. While uh, I think the good ramp cards, uh, so the ones that we were playing like One Jump Ahead and Mickey Mouse, they they could ramp you up one by just costing you two cards. So that's a big difference. Um, So the only upside is really that it's an item, but I think uh, we can play better items than Fishbone Quill, and we can play better ramp cards than than Fishbone mm. Quill. Let's um, it is, let's mention so, some of the we,
0: items though that you were, like. Some of the items that you played instead of Fishbone Quill, like you played the scepter, and then you played some of the shields yeah. in ruby as well. So I
1: played I played a scepter and a few shields, and then four four It was the items that I was playing. Um, so ba- but uh, regardless, I think Fishbone Quill is not terrible, but I would never cut Mickey Mouse for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not a fan of Fishbone Quill, but if 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 you if you are and you wanna play it, that's fine with me. But I don't think you should be cutting Mickey Mouse. I think Mickey Mouse is an insanely efficient way to ramp. And I don't really see the downside of it being uninkable all that much, because it still doesn't brick you entirely because it gives you an ink when you play it.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah it is definitely an interesting point uh i know kim made a few adjustments to y- your list boy, and she used your list as kind of a a, a base and mm-hmm. she she made a few adjustments uh one of them was i'm not too sure if she cut. um she didn't cut all the Mickeys, she might have cut one or two or maybe she would have kept the mickeys and added some in but she i know she added in two winnie the poos because uh she found that that card was a different way of ramping it's it's mm-hmm. similar to mickey mouse but obviously different right you get to um choose the card rather than it being the top of 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 your deck and that you also just get two lore out of it so she said there were situations where she would have preferred mickey and then there was actually some situations where she would have preferred winnie so i i think ultimately um from what um nico was saying here yeah i mean if if that type of ramp works for you then that's great i don't know if you feel like it works better like like you said you feel like it works better because it synergizes more items and stuff like that i think that's really really good but Mm. i can also understand where you're coming from uh, moin as well in terms of if you're quoting it completely for mickey i i agree that i think i think mickey is more efficient than fishbone quill overall
0: so there's one fundamental that i want to mention <clears throat> that guides some of the deck building that goes on behind the scenes in terms of the ruby amethyst list and just what you're trying to do with the deck list so these items they are essentially used as tools for your engine which come in the form of <clears throat> flaversham or judy hops things like that and you're basically getting rid of these items, right? So the less you pay for the item, if you're banishing it to draw two cards, technically the more value you're getting out of that exchange. And I would use that as sort of a my first filter when looking at an item to potentially play in the deck because I want the item to be as cheap as possible. Popsicle is like your dream item, right? It's like Dorado. It costs one, it draws an additional card, and you sort of free roll that exchange. But even things like like Scepter is not particularly useful as an item when you activate the ability. <laughs> Maybe Moyen disagrees, but like also the shields, like you you were paying less for these items, so when you get to exchange them for card draw, uh, you become you get a better value on an exchange. And I think that that's one of the things that I look at first when considering what items to put in the deck. Do you agree, moyan Are you a big? Are you a big Scepter activator? Are you activating that?
1: No, I'm I'm okay. I also only play one scepter. It's just occasionally it. So the thing is, it doesn't do all that much, and it doesn't do it all that often. But the thing is, it does it for free. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost any extra any ink extra, so. I, I still really like the cut, but yeah, it's it's it doesn't come up all that often.
0: Yeah. Alright, the next one here is from Boomer. They say question uh question for next time is pure speculation. In the first chapter, the item deck was meh, and now it's incredibly powerful. Action based decks, except for songs, so not including songs, continue to be meh, but do you think that the next set we will see powerful additions <clears throat> that will make this archetype really good? This is a funny question in the context that like so much of set three has been, you know, maybe spoiled, maybe <laughs> i don't even remember when i saw it to be honest and uh we wouldn't discuss them anyway but the action package is something i think was actually really hyped in the spoiler season right because this is what Mm. works with like the the beast stuff and all that it's i have to remember what these cards do because they basically kind of become irrelevant since like spoiler season but i I think uh yeah
2: yeah i think i think some of the cards that the action cards worked best with was like um what was it It was like pete pete when he got extra attack which you wouldn't you don't have to say it works with actions right because that could just work with support once pete gets a certain number of attacks he can quest for some more lore uh, and the big card that was uh, advantageous to run in that deck was uh, improvise which is give a character i think i can't remember if it's plus one or plus two attack and then you draw a card but uh some of the other like when you say action based decks i think that's just using actions that are uh, using cards that benefit from using more action so for example the uh diver mini mouse brennan the mm-hmm. evasive one i think it's when you play two actions occurring you get to quest for an additional lore or you gain an extra lore or something like that so that's an interesting uh archetype but yeah i, I don't know if there's gonna just be like a lot of supporting cards printed in the next set to kind of just like make that really good but um it's so yeah it's 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 an interesting point yeah, yeah. For, for me i would say that
1: it it would be... So I don't know any of the new cards and I don't want to know any of the new cards. But mm. for me, I think it would make sense that at least in the in the future sets, we also get this natural um, evolution of the card game where maybe at the start, it was set one was completely board focused. And now set two, we have a few nice interactions and maybe a few nice items. And then at some point that we also get a few more actually efficient, powerful actions that also become part of the core game loop.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to answer your question, Boomer, do I think it it'll be Yeah, I'm trying to answer this outside I I legitimately don't remember any any card I saw in the third set, but I do remember (laughs) one of the mechanics. And do I think that actions will be more powerful? I think it's more likely rather than not. Um because it should only get more tools. Will it be powerful enough to keep up with the other archetypes that also get more tools? Maybe. I mean I think one of the one of the that, I don't know if you call it an archetype, but yeah, one of the archetypes in chapter one that was really powerful was evasives. But in chapter two, it might be powerful again, but it would definitely be contextual in metagame because chapter two has like so much evasive hate and so many of the so many colors have access to uh, evasive threats that they could actually tech into their deck to deal with it. Where in set one, there's a lot of colors that just like literally couldn't do anything about it without running like vastly inefficient characters. So I think it's possible. And the last one here. Is from Citizen Flab uh, Flabba. They say just left a review. The show is the best resource for a competitive Lacana. It's not even close. Um, I picked this one because I just want to say thank you to everybody who did go out of their way to leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We actually had like a ton. So um, to all of you listening. Yeah. I mean, you stepped up, you helped us out. We unfortunately suffered a little bit of a review bomb in the beginning, but, uh, I mean, we're pretty much out of that now because we had so many people go out of their way to help us out. So we, we really appreciate that. And if you listen to this podcast, you enjoyed the number one thing you could do is, is leave us a review. So thanks so much, everybody. And, uh, yeah, once again, if you want to get your question read out next week, leave us a comment on YouTube and we'll get it queued up. So our main topic is actually just going to be Ruby Amethyst here. It's the list that... (laughs) Yeah, I know. I knew... I saw... We have uh, Google Doc Notes. I saw Moy and Mousing over. uh, Something else I listed the main topic, but that's just because it was an old set of notes. Yeah, it's Ruby Amethyst. Moy and I just did a deck pack on this list. um, The list, by the way, and always will be in the description below. Will be in the description for Spotify and on YouTube, but you can find a link there dreamborn links have been a bit funky <laughs> in the past for some reason like all of my dreamborn links weren't working so sometimes i upload the deck list just as a text-based list um but it will be there so don't worry so yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna go over this list uh, i'm gonna read it out it should be quick but it's four pascal four mini mouse the one three and then four Mim, the two drop the three three that bounce something back uh for arthur this is the thing, this is the quester that can bounce things back to your hand. The Mata Mim, the 4th with Rush, where you bounce something back that's the condition you have to you have to do to pay. Um, then you have Maleficent, the all-star 3-drop from the first set that draws an additional card. You have uh, the other Minnie Mouse that quests for 2 here and has Evasive. It's basically a better Pongo in every single way. Um, you have Merlin, which gets a lore when it comes in when it goes out, and also the Merlin that draws a card when it comes in and when it leaves. Maui, our 5-star Rush all star uh sort of board clear we have the Yizma this is the six drop Yizma where you can banish a character and the controller draws two cards one of our favorite cards is set to scar vicious cheater this is like be prepared but on a body <laughs> um, then we have three friends on the other, or four friends on the other side four be prepared um, and actually it's three sorcerer spellbook and um one Lady Tremaine. So Lady Tremaine, the thing that comes down to your, p- your opponent, has to sacrifice one. So Malian, obviously we came off the back of playing a few games with this deck list. How do you feel about the list overall and how it's positioned in the metagame right now? Um, so
1: I, th- I think it's very well positioned in the, ne- in the meta, not because it beats all of the popular decks, but because it's, it has at least close matchups against all the popular decks. And it's kind of a deck that emerged in response to Ruby Sapphire. Um, becoming more popular because against that deck it can uh, threaten lore while the blue uh, the blue red deck is, is ramping and then when they're clearing the board you can keep getting uh, the final points of lore that you need by the incremental spellbook and and the merlins and bouncing the merlins uh, merlin the god and then w- once they develop a a board that's too threatening you can reset it with either Scar or be prepared and then basically even if they have more resources than you. And even if they have more value in hand than you, you can still get to twenty lore before them. So it's it, it works very well for that. It's a um can be a little annoying to fight off um Amber Amber Steel with this because you don't have ramp tools. So uh, if they draw a whole new world on the right occasions it can can be a little tough to beat. And then against aggro, it's a decent deck. It's it's basically, it is a pretty good deck against aggro, but it's not steel, so it's not that good against aggro. So you can contest the board very well, but you can't, you're not that great at clearing stuff before it
2: quests once. I would say from looking at this deck, I haven't faced this deck too much, but I actually would imagine it's quite, quite decent into aggro. I mean, even in like, obviously in comparison to uh, Ruby Software, it seems like it tackles aggro a lot easier, right? Because you're just playing lower cost cards, you've got... I mean Pascal can just hit hit into the opposing Pascal because it has evasive. Uh, if you get the Madman Body down there, it just takes care of a Simba. So there's a lot of tools in this deck that I think can uh, tackle aggro quite nicely. One thing I do want to point out is I think uh, I think you just might have misspoke, Brendan, on in relation to the Yizma. Yizma doesn't banish uh, the card; it shuffles it into mm-hmm. the player's deck, and then you draw two cards. So. It's not like any of the other bounce cards doesn't return to your hand or it doesn't banish it. Uh, you actually shuffle it into the deck and this works on both your own card or the opposing player's card. And that's why I think Gizmo is quite good because it's quite versatile, right? If you have a one drop on the board and you need access to more cards, you just pick that one drop, put it back into your deck, get two extra cards. If you need to stop your opponent from uh, instantly questing with something the next turn, then you just pick one of their cards. Yes, they get two cards out of it, but you stop that quest, which could in turn help them um, win the game. So overall, yeah, as... Uh, a deck that i haven't seen too much uh, well like i said i saw a version of it played at locals which was uh, very much along the lines of this it didn't have as many spell books i think it didn't have i think it might have had this mini which i'm i am I have to agree with you brandon i think this uh surfer mini mouse is is very good like in comparison to pongo it just seems like really really good so yeah i'm yeah. excited to both uh play with it and play against it i'm, I'm expecting to face this a lot this uh this weekend once once Bessie comes over i'm really in, in, intrigued to see what especially <laughs> doesn't bring his amber uh amethyst aggro uh i'll be i'll be intrigued yeah
1: yeah he will um so basically if you think about how this um lines up into aggro it is better at contesting the board with its own boards than uh, ruby sapphire but ruby sapphire could clear the board earlier with bp prepared so basically ruby if Against slow starts, Ruby Sapphire can can be uh, can be better. Against faster starts, this would be better off of the of the aggressive decks. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and in terms of how this list changed from the set one list, it's it's quite different in, in most ways, right? Um, the previous list was a hyper control list. I, I know we were playing evasives, but um, so we kind of flipped down on its head. But this is, I guess, it's somewhat similar to that old list, the one that the one that we published on the channel with the evasives, because the biggest the biggest thing that these lists can do is that. Against aggressive decks, they're the control deck, and against control decks, they're the aggro deck. So you can really pivot in terms of res- in terms of roles with this kind of deck list, um, and that's that's what I really like about this. For how this deck list is different from other popular Ruby Amethyst deck lists that are circulating around, is that in general. Uh, we don't play the top end. So you'll you'll see a lot of Ruby Amethyst lists that are sort of circulating on YouTube or on Discord or whatever. Um and they will be playing things like the Nine Drop Maleficent, like the uh, like the Elsa's, the big Elsa's, maybe even Ursula. We've opt to cut that package um because we feel like it is unnecessary. If are those cards good? Yes, but we feel like they're not necessary and conducive to winning the games in terms of how the current metagame sort of plays out. Is that it's basically it? It's, basic- it's
1: basically this deck is very capable of um, progressing the game into a game state where Maleficent and Elsa, which are very very good cards, are no longer good cards on this game state because you already uh, gained enough lore that these cards might be good at um, outvaluing you and gaining the board back, but they're not very good at getting them to twenty lore before you get to twenty lore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, so basically this this deck, it 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 is it can be a control deck, but it's I- extremely good and efficient. Also, at just um, if your opponent ever gives you any breathing room and time, you can easily become the aggressor. And at that point, it can be hard for for decks to uh, to defend because some of the yeah uh, some of the law that this deck creates just is, is not inter. You can you cannot interact with.
0: Mm. And I think if we're being honest, this deck is probably essentially a mid-range deck, instead of a control deck, because sure. it is playing it is playing both roles uh, quite efficiently. Uh, Moyn, I want to ask you, what is your least favorite card that is currently in the deck? The one that is sort of the the worst performer so far. My
1: least favorite card. Um, that's that's tough because I think all of these cards are good in the deck. I, I would say there's a few cards that. I maybe don't want four of. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure we I, I love I love Scar, but I'm not sure we want four. Um Isma also have to test for uh, more if if to see what I actually want four. How many mini mouse we want is uh dependent on how much aggro there is in the meta, but we kinda needed to develop Meta on 2 and maybe Meta on 3. So one drops can be good just for that reason. Um and and maybe there's a debate whether you want three or four spellbook. But I, li- I like all of these cards, but a few of them maybe you could cut down a few um, if if there's any card you would want to fit in into this deck. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of cards that existed in previous Ruby Amethyst lists that were obviously a bit slower, but I think about the... I mean, we had talked about it earlier, of course, when we filmed the deck deck, but I think about the one of cauldron. Like, could the one of cauldron make it in here? Is it too slow? So the big difference, the, there's a big difference that's going on in set two, Ruby Amethyst versus set one. Is that you have good and playable two drops <laughs> in yeah. set one? You did not have great two drops. Your two drops are basically items. Now that you can mod meme on two, that sort of changes the dynamic of can we include something like a cauldron in the deck? I still kind of want it to be honest. Like any deck that I'm playing that has twenty plus uninkables, like cauldron can feel can feel really really good because you are able to filter um, a bit more at the top of the deck. Um, I do think though, if we talk about uh, one of the marquee cards of Ruby Amethyst from Set One, which is the Magic Mirror. It doesn't feel like this deck needs Magic Mirror whatsoever, right? We yeah. we have enough card draw.
1: Yeah, I think the the deck just got so many upgrades. As in, you don't need Magic Mirror anymore because suddenly the the card draw Merlin, Merlin the Rabbit, mm-hmm. is so good at card draw that you not no longer so reliant on card draw that you would need to include um, a less efficient card like Magic Mirror. In terms of removal. We have Lady Trumain, Isma, and Scar now. So we can actually afford to um, not play Maleficent and Elsa, even though they're very good just because they come down a little bit later and might be the game might already be and it's not over, but it's kinda decided already at that point. Um and it's it's a lot better at contesting the board early. Maybe set one, we were playing Rafiki to wash something down, now mm-hmm. we have an inkable madam mim. And I, d- I don't think we can afford to play two-cost items in the deck because basically the only reason we could afford them was that two-cost 2, two cost cards were terrible, said one. And so we could afford to... At the turn where we wouldn't be doing a whole lot of anything anyways, we could afford to play the item, but now Madam Mim is so good that I would never put, put those items back into the deck. Um, one card you could consider in terms of two-drops is either LeFou to um, be a little... Bit more cheesy to get few more lore points in earlier, and it's very very efficient if it you can hit it on Arthur. Or actually, one card that's a little bit similar. I think it's 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 a. I wouldn't put it into the deck necessarily, but I think it's a decent inclusion. It's the two cost Merlin. It's like it's similar to the cauldron.
2: Oh, is it? Is it? Uh, oh, I know. Oh, the squirrel? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's like, I a, don't like a cauldron that card. effect. Nah, 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 I'm not and a fan of that card. no man. <laughs> Okay, okay I wouldn't
1: put it, it into the deck, but I think it's I think it's it's not terrible.
2: It's a two cost two one inkable that when it enters play, you basically do Cauldron's effect, and when it leaves play, you do Cauldron's effect again.
0: See, I don't hate it, but what I was asking uh, Moyne about earlier was about Hey Hey, the Amethyst Hey that goes back mm. to hand.
2: Yeah, that, that that's a that's a fine con I, I would consider that card more than I would <laughs> consider the squirrel for sure.
0: Yeah, the thing about Heihei is like um there's like some uh there's like a few core tenants of card games that you can focus on in terms of like what breaks a card game and there's the cards that you can sort of laser it on before you have to evaluate everything in context and these are cards you can sort of highlight and hey hey kind of is one of those cards it's recursive just in in nature right it's always going back to your hand it's also cheap like recurs recursion and recursive cards in card games are very a very dangerous area of design so that's that's one of the reasons i had my eye on hey hey um to be honest. Uh, there's some other cards I wanted to talk about for Ruby Amethyst. I'm trying to th- it just skip. Well, oh, this, the Sorcerer's, this... Sorcerer's Spellbook, actually. I just want to ask you, I asked you this earlier, but um, a very popular decklist in the game, obviously Ruby Sapphire. You play Sorcerer's Spellbook, your opponent Judy hops it. Are you okay with that exchange?
1: Um, yeah, I don't think it's the end of the world because basically if, if they want to do it, that the swaps that turn a little bit where they have to spend three ink on that and you get the card back, which, and then, so they have the studio hops on the board, which is their big upside from this exchange. Um, but I think at that stage, you can kind of deal with it uh, already. Maybe if you're prepared, or can just ignore it. And also a lot of the time you won't just, you won't, you will almost never spell book on, on three ink. You will spell book when you like one out of, stuff to do on the board almost or when you want to play around a removal, then you get the spellbook down, already get one lore, and then it's into their turn where they want to be removing your board, but also maybe they want to be getting rid of the spellbook and you already got somebody out of it. So that's not the end of the world. Uh, to get back to the Hey Hey, I think Hey Hey is kinda intriguing. Um but I think it doesn't necessarily fit this way of building mm-hmm. Reamethist. It's 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 I think it could be really good again in a control deck that's good at stalling out the game. At making sure it doesn't lose the game, and then it has this inevitability. But this deck, I think, needs to be more efficient in the way it spends its ink, and it doesn't need to go all that long, so it doesn't need this inevitability from from Hey Hey necessarily.
2: At the other, I found Hey Hey. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. I was gonna say. Yeah, no, I, I've yeah, I found Hey Hey to be uh, interesting, an interesting, an another interesting tactic to include against. Uh, aggro because it's a card that will constantly kind of come down and will keep kind of uh pinging off those um those small cards and it's actually quite interesting because it is recursive card um it didn't happen when i was playing in locals this week but last week uh there is only one one way to actually get rid of the card and that is uh by discarding it when it's in their hand because besides that it's just going to keep coming back
0: so it's funny that Um, it's good against aggro because it's like if you let's say if we could rewind time to set one ruby amethyst mm -hmm. Early control mirrors. I mean, Hey Hey would have been one of the best cards of the deck because yeah. I mean, people were be you were having to be prepared like single card threats on the board because that was just how that trade <laughs> yeah. went. um Because you were, it was an attrition of resources game. Like Hey 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 is a very is a very good control v control card actually because you just can't remove it um in this game. So I mean, that's a card I have in my eye on for the future. One card I want to ask but about is as a card. Oh, go ahead. before oh, just, I, I, I
1: just I just don't think it's good against Aggro. I, I think it's too slow. Aggro doesn't care that much if you keep playing something that can next turn attack something that has already quested. It's, it's not really how you beat Aggro.
0: Yeah, Aggro gets the, they get the value in the bottom right. They get the lore and then they don't care about that character anymore. <laughs> they like their deck just like quest 20 from care. Uh, the question um, is regarding Cusco. So Emerald, I think has seen a bit of a fall off. I don't really see too many Emerald decks now, but we definitely included cards on a Ruby Amethyst decks in our Control deck. so this, you know, it said to you, this would include Sapphire, Ruby to try and deal with Kuzco. Kuzco was a problem. We don't see much of it now. But if Kuzco came back into the format, would you consider playing something like Aston, or do you think this deck list has enough tools to deal with Kuzco already via the Madam Mim? Mm.
1: I think I would play more Lady Tremaine and then try to mm. contest the bot early so uh, so well, well enough that often enough I can Lady Tremaine the Kuzco. But I, yeah, because that, that that's that's now a, a much better way to deal with, with Cusco. So I would put that into the
0: deck first. Makes sense, makes sense. All right, I mean, I think that wraps it up for Ruby Amethyst. It's a very powerful deck overall right now. I think it's really well positioned. Uh, like Moeen said, if you're looking for a deck list, a mid-range deck list that is very well-rounded, has game into everything, this is probably a really good pick for you. It doesn't have super polarizing matchups, and it's just a fundamentally powerful deck. That being said, I think the deck list is still being worked on. Which is not a bad thing. Just means that like there, there's definitely work to be done on this deck. So two, three weeks, it we could come up with a more powerful deck list. But the one that we currently have here is definitely in a, in a good position. All right. I want to hop onto the next archetype we're going to talk about, which is the aggro list you sent me more. I think we might have mentioned it last week. I don't know if you tweaked the deck at all. But this is a amber amethyst deck list. How do you feel about Amber Amethyst right now as we, as with the current state of the Medigan? Cause it's developed, you know, one week into development, uh, in, in Rise of the Floodborne is a significant period of time. Do you still feel that aggro is really well positioned? I know that this is pretty sure that this is the exact deck list you sent me last week. Um, which is a bit contrary to other Amber Amethyst decklists, at least previously that are running just in time or cheating out that big one nine. Um, your thoughts on, on this list?
1: Um, yes, sir. I think this deck's completely crazy. Um, just because it means if you don't have steel in your deck the best you can do is be somewhat close or even into this deck you can never I I feel like I don't know that there is a deck that exists that would be favored into this without including steel so it's it's extremely good in a field without a lot of steel which also in turn makes steel much more powerful because it makes it a necessity if you want to be good against this deck Um, so yeah, I think I think this deck's really, really good, and then for if for countering this deck you will have to figure out okay, what do I pair deal with mm. so that I'm also not just good against this deck but
2: also good against uh good against the other popular decks in the meta. Yeah. And that- this is this is the, the question that I had uh all weekend basically. So this is the the not this exact list I was playing the just in time version. Uh, at my locals and the whole time i was like okay if they don't have steel i win that's how confident i felt with yeah. the list honestly i was like if i don't face any combination with steel i will actually win the matchup um and um that's pretty that's pretty much what happened that is pretty much what happened um there is there was two changes that i made to the previous list um those were i cut. uh i think we had we had four maleficents i think in this list that you have no more and yeah there's no three cost maleficents i cut two of those and i put in the snakes because the snakes are so much better the snake madam mims uh, for bouncing stuff um i didn't actually do it in my locals but someone suggested uh the more i played eudora i thought she was okay and most of the time she was ink but a card i considered another just-in-time target mm-hmm. which i know was a card a card that is like oh do we actually play just in time it's a bit like it's a bit meh Um was the fairy godmother um the five cost fairy godmother legendary that uh when a card dies it bounces back to the hand and uh it also so when very mother, godmother quests then uh whenever any of the cards challenge and die they'll bounce back and they also get challenger plus three so it's a weird situation because yes it still costs or still quests for two but in a rare situation where you might need to use some of your cards on the board to clear some some bigger stuff it can kind of work you can reset you can still get your cards back i found that it was an interesting substitute for um eudora but Overall, yeah, I'm excited. I really want to play this version that you have here, Moyen, mainly because I feel like it. Uh, I'm a big fan of the befuddle. I think that works really well. You just quest and then you can just bring it back. Um, yep. And even the one inclusion of sorcerer spellbook, I think, is is insanely huge in a in a list like this. Way more than you would actually consider because there there's there's hands that you have when playing this deck when. Believe it or not, you you think this deck just go go like goes constantly. Yeah. There is so like oftentimes hands where you can be bricked and you can be like, well, I'm I'm actually quite slow, so yeah. Sorcerer Spellbook
0: can definitely help out. You also start on the play, get to fifteen more against your opposing mid range yeah, control. Yeah, and then opponent. you're fine. Yeah, I mean that seriously. Like that was one of the most annoying things when you're playing set one control versus aggro is that they would just inherently get to fifteen more before you could literally do anything, and then every single card they put on the board threatens to. Uh, progress the win condition by the amount that's in the bottom right and you'll kill it after for sure but you still just lose the game and you're like okay now i have to be prepared to two drop and stuff it's just like social spellbook is that but kind of on on steroids to an extent because you literally can't do anything about it unless you're playing certain colors um Moyen, do you have anything else to say on this list before i hop on to my last yeah. point go ahead
1: i mean i could talk for hours so probably <laughs> but
0: <laughs> does it, wait does this list have the highest win rate of all your decks
1: uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. So most of my decks are on like 66. I think this one on like 68. And I, I basically played this because it's the fastest deck, but also ended up winning the most. Uh, so I think Fairy Godmother is kind of interesting. Maybe it doesn't necessarily mean you trade with your with your characters, but even if you just play it and turn all, all your characters sideways, it just hmm. means that if they can't remove the Fairy Godmother, it means that you can just refill the board next turn very efficiently with these high-questing hmm. characters. Um, and then because you pointed out Bifaddle, I think Bifaddle is... After playing this deck a lot, it's absolutely core to the deck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it just helps so it, it's not a good card in general, but in this deck, this little bit of tempo advantage can end the game as early as turn two. Especially <laughs> so if, if you're if you're going second, okay, that's not ideal, but it can help you stabilize tempo on turn two where they played a two drop, you return it, play a one drop. That that's already pretty good and can help you, you win games going second. And especially if you can return a Simba and they thought their their one drop was maybe uh, safe behind it, maybe you can get a value trade off that wins you the game. But going first, this can make it so the game almost ends. Like, you're playing against some deck, maybe they miss their one drop, or maybe they don't even play one drops in their deck. Like, um, for example, Ruby Sapphire. Ruby Sapphire doesn't really play one drops. Maybe they contest the bot turn too, but maybe not even then. So let's say um, you play a Lilo on one, and they pass. And then you 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 flood the board again, and then they play their two drop. And you just befuddle that. Yeah. And because this pl- deck plays a million one drops uh, and, and, and a few twos, you develop behind it, and it just means that that there's another character that's just questing every turn. And they can't recover from that. Even that once they get to trading your characters, you already have like a few more. And every turn you get a few quests. In. Okay, it's 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 not easy to explain, but this little bit of temporal advantage of they pay two for something, mm-hmm. you pay one to remove it, mm-hmm. uh can it's huge. snowball mm-hmm. very
2: easily into a lot of lore. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to try this list now, Moyen. Uh the biggest thing, like like I said though, like all weekend I I and it's so true with this deck, it's like if I face if I face Annie Steel, it just feels like that's that's the problem with an aggro le- deck like this. I feel like the win rate is so high because it does so well into all these people playing the more control decks, but I feel like, you know. This is, the, this is the deck I already want to play at this big tournament this weekend, but I'm so scared that I just face steal and yeah. I'm just going to tank because I, I feel like it's going to happen. You that's know? that's yeah. card so, games,
0: right? Players will choose yeah. players will choose decks that have lower win rates but have more like a smoother matchup curve into the field because when you play a deck that has a very polarizing, almost auto loss esque matchup, mm-hmm. it feels like crap. It feels really bad. Like it feels super yeah, bad. Just, it's a terrible experience. So people will actually choose feels, worse decks. Yeah, it just
1: feels bad when it's like out of your control.
0: oh
2: it feels awful Uh, right because like everything about this deck you've built you know how to like you know how to play it perfectly but it feels like as soon as you hit that matchup it's like well i might as well just like not play this game right to
1: to be fair against some some hands it is completely unplayable against steel but sometimes the game can be very interesting against steel to try to find these few lines or these few potential hands your opponents can have where you can actually play around it in a way where you can
2: end up Mm. on top so, Bo- because it
1: is it is winnable but it is it not is always. Bo- both times i played
2: yeah both times i played amber steel i uh it was actually 2-1 to them i i did manage to pull a game back yeah uh but always i cannot i cannot express how much you want a high roll to go first with this deck mm. you yes. want to go first so much because even if you win your first game you lose your second game it means in the final game you're going first and that is exactly what you want
0: so a funny concept about this, the, uh, this like picking worse decks out of smoother matchup curve and this idea of like having agency and making choices. And, you know, this matchup felt bad because I couldn't make any choices. It was just, I paired in my bad match and I lost is that that, that concept, the idea that like you, you have that certain matchups, you do have agency and that it, those games are different than from the games where you wouldn't have that because you're playing something like an aggro deck and a steal is kind of a fallacy, right? Because like the idea behind it is that if both players play optimally but like not optimally but literally perfect that card games like you they are just predetermined right because it's a stack of cards against a stack of cards and this idea Mm -hmm. that you would play you play a worse deck because you're trying to get this illusion of agency over your opponent where you are able to outsmart them and outplay them and it leads you to choosing a worse deck is like this this trap that players fall into and i've actually done that at almost every single tournament i've played i i will will never play the aggro deck because i cannot sit there (laughs) <laughs> while I have zero cards in hand, while my opponent just goes, "Okay, take fifteen game actions." You are like, "Bro, come on!" <laughs> it's just—it's so, so painful. I think it completely
1: depends on on the player level that you are facing. If you play facing against like professional players of the card game that you are playing, then you shouldn't. I think it's a little—it can at times be ignorant to think that. You're so much better than them that you will be able to win the close matchups that much more often. While let's say if you're playing at an open tournament where everyone can play, I think it's 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 somewhat reasonable to say, okay, I don't want un- unwinnable matchups. If 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 I have a lot of close matchups, I think I can play well enough to get um to get uh, the little bit of extra gap that I want.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So the last point I have, and this is, we already mentioned it slightly, but this is something that I think is coalescing in like all of our minds is the future of the format, mostly in, in, in terms of the future of control. And I think all of us are looking for something regarding a steel-based control deck. Like, that is that is the truth. We know that's the truth. Steel did get access to more card draw in Rise of the Floodborn, but it does feel like if you want to have the best control deck in Rise of the Floodborne, at least the best mid-range deck to an extent, you need to have access to that early board removal, that AoE board mm-hmm. removal. And it's like, what do you guys think is the pairing color with steel that could be the emergent control deck of Risen Floodborne.
1: I I have a theory. Okay. Okay. Mm. So it's it's not proven yet, and it needs it it, it will require a lot of work. But it, so basically, the reason why we think you need steel is because if you don't have steel, you can't really be good against aggro. So we need steel to be good against aggro. Can we find a deck that's good against aggro and good against other stuff? Mm-hmm. And I think to be good against other stuff, I think we would need purple. And then we need to be efficient early, and then we have the sort sense of inevitability uh, and efficiency through the bouncing, um, the bouncing mechanic, and the Merlin the Goat and Sorcerer Spellbook. So we can close out games that way against decks that can have more value than us. Um, and we are, then we also have Steel, so that we don't lose to Aggro because we can play Tinkerbell and shift Tinkerbell and maybe grab your swap and stuff. So I think that is the pairing that could potentially in theory maybe be capable of that it's just it doesn't all line up that perfectly and it's a a difficult list to figure out but i think maybe um amethyst steel could be the answer
0: so let's talk about why why steel amethyst was not as good in chapter one it wasn't wasn't a sort of very popular control deck and there's a few reasons in my opinion there's probably more that will escape me at this time but the main reason is is because ruby the pairing color that ended up being the sort of control pair with amethyst had access to AoE like board removal in the form of deep prepared single target removal in the form of dragon fire and maleficent to deal with pesky threats on board that had big butts so like big butts in the late game are things like elsa ursula uh even maleficent and like steel Cannot, could not really deal with those, and it would get outvalued by that higher-end curve. And Amethyst also couldn't really deal with it other than playing their own big butts. But then if you're playing as Ruby, Ruby Amethyst, they could be prepared to you and then deploy behind that, um, etc. But Steel, I mean, Steel Amethyst was theoretically a good control deck into other control decks, because you, you were the only color that could blow up items, right? So if you're playing Amethyst Steel, your opponent's playing Ruby Amethyst, you could just beast all of their mirrors away and all of their cauldrons away, and you could have your own draw engine. Yeah. The problem is, is like the actual card quality that came with Ruby Amethyst over Ruby Steel, I think, edged that deck out a little bit more. And Ruby Amethyst match just might have been a bit more clean. Um, overall, that being said, Steel has now gotten, it's gotten more card draw. It's gotten cheaper item removal. And I think Ruby Amethyst like or sorry, Amethyst in general is no longer this like hyper control color. I mean, obviously Amethyst is part of the it's an aggro deck as well, but it has more mid-range threats in the form of Merlin in this bounce package. So the the concept or at least the ingredients that go behind a steel amethyst deck, the sort of the quality of the cards you can put in that deck list to sort of formulate that game plan have increased drastically. So it might be possible now in set two.
2: So everyone, stay tuned for next week's deck tech, where Brendan and Moyen play Steel amethyst with the nine drop Goofy. I'm calling it right <laughs> it's, now. It's <laughs> steal <still>, nine, <laughs> yeah, nine drop Goofy. It's it's still something for
0: sure, for sure. Because I mean, yeah, so, so, yeah go ahead. But
1: basically, where you went with your if your argument was like, oh, because I, I feel like you didn't co- completely finish what you, what you were uh, going to say. It's like, oh, when whereas before you could only um, play other big butts or more big butts in your opponent and keep removing your opponent's characters, play your own characters to to actually be able to get lore of them. Now um, there's there's lore that cannot that cannot cannot be stopped. So before no matter what you play, maybe they can be prepared it all away and Elsa the rest and then dragon fire that. But you can play Merlin and you basically know it's giving you two lore. You can play a spell book and you know in, in three turns you'll have created three lore with this. So the only way to stop that is if they get to 20 before you. So yep. you you turn the game into a race at that point.
2: Yeah, this this inclusion of these cards like Merlin and the spellbook has uh, it's taken the game to the next level honestly. I mean, when I even when I even when I played that aggro deck, I cannot tell you the amount of times when I got to like even 18, 19 lore and I'm like if my top deck is Merlin, I just win. And I wanted it to be Merlin so badly. It just shows you the power of those cards is just in absolutely incredible and uh oh. Go ahead. Yeah, just one more, one more theory that I have,
1: that I I need the listeners maybe to experiment with me, is steel amber, but also with a sense of inevitability with with the flute, with Sleepy's flute, <laughs> where you can maybe get a win condition against these decks that can clear all your threats, but you will still uh, start creating some some lore every every turn that they can stop. So it's it's not as efficient. It's you need to play a song on, on the same turn. It's not the same. But I think maybe Steel Amber is such a good deck in all the other departments that it can afford to play this. And it's something I want to try out, and I encourage you guys to try it.
0: There's definitely, there's definitely levels of copium. Um. <laughs> yeah, the flute, the, flute, the flute is a funny car. Um, I can see it working, to be honest. I can see it working. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm 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 keen to see. I do think that steel is the future of control. I really do, um, because you need to have you need to be honestly. We need to get to a point where we're favored into these aggro decks. Ideally, I'd rather be favored in the aggro decks and have like more smooth matchups against the other control decks, and other mid range decks, than the opposite of that, where we were like, you know, in set one we were super favored into the control decks, super favored in the mid range decks. We got absolutely dumpstered by aggro just uh, because the meta adjusts. And every, you know, I went to my locals and it was like. 70% of the people are now on like blue green. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, anyway, that concludes the main topic. Uh, again, all lists in the description below no steel based control list yet but that's coming hopefully if we can get it to work uh yeah if you if you enjoy this podcast number one thing you do is leave us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify like i said we're going to be doing a giveaway soon i'm trying to figure out a good thing giveaway i was actually looking on tcg player i was thinking like uh you know that new thing from the set two that has like those art cards like the
2: the 100 that's a great that's a great giveaway yeah so i
0: think we're going to do one of those we can shoot for next week so Sometimes it take a little takes a little while for the reviews to show up. So if you leave us a written review on either Spotify or Apple, I think it's ideally Apple. I think that's where the written reviews are. So you leave us a written review and Apple will get you in the contest or the drawing for that um what's it called what's the official title again? the disney
2: 100 gift set disney
0: 100 gift set and we will give that away next week i'll make a note so we can do that um so yeah and i want to say again thank you to all the people that did give us reviews last week that helps a lot so we actually got so many five-star reviews uh, i want to read out one from downfield night they say good good insight it's the subject title say these guys uh the guys break down cars and explain pairings from angles i don't always see i've def def gotten better at lakana from their card advice. So yeah, we really appreciate that review. Again, if you're listening to this on pod platforms, video version on YouTube at on YouTube at youtube.com slash at podcana podcast. Hit that subscribe while you there. We're extremely co- close to one K subscribers. We're all on Twitter. Redden APG Moyne underscore H S and Kawa Tech underscore cg Did you change that Kawa? Has it always been Kawa Tech? it's
2: always been oh gosh okay, you've been you've been saying no you, you've you been saying it i think but yeah no, I, I know you changed <laughs> it in the in the bio yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: somebody clicked on your thing and it sent them to like a dubious profile so kawa oh, no. cg it's like oh, no it's actually not bad it was <laughs> like uh okay it was just it was definitely not you i'll say that okay okay cool, <laughs> cool. Uh, but anyway thank you all so much for listening we'll see you next week